If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, to the second chapter, and our reading begins at verse 14. And as I read for us, if I would ask that we may all rise and stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. This is the word of God. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, I normally don't say good morning. My church, we have our worship in the afternoon, and so I made a mental note, make sure I don't say good afternoon. Um, today is actually a very, very uh, special day for me personally. Um, for the church that I serve at, Grace Community Presbyterian Church, uh, today is our sixth anniversary as a church, um, and so it is a, a day of uh, much thanksgiving to God, uh, but it's also the day that I get to baptize my third, my third uh, kid, and so that's a really exciting thing uh, for me as well. Uh, and on top of that, I am uh, very, very thankful for this invitation to uh, bring God's word uh, for you. And so with that, if I can just uh, open us up with a word of prayer. Um, God, we thank you for this Sunday, this Lord's Day, this day of rest that you've given us. It is a reminder of the eternal rest that is waiting for us, that has been secured for us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God, so help us now to stay focused to draw our hearts and our minds and our full energy, everything we have, to your word. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, as we confess our weaknesses before you, that you would strengthen us in the hearing of your word, and you would strengthen me in the preaching of the same. And we pray, O oh Lord, that through the preaching and the hearing of your word this day, that God, your people would be edified, would be strengthened, and your name would be most glorified. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. My intention today is very simple. Uh, my intention is that through God's word, that the Holy Spirit, if he be willing, would encourage you where encouragement is needed, will exhort you where exhortation is needed, and will admonish you where admonishment is needed, and will convict you where conviction is needed. The passage I read for us is in the second chapter of Philippians, and many of you, hopefully you would know that the book of Philippians is a very, very powerful book in Scripture, the particular relationship that Apostle Paul had with the Philippians is one that is very unique and unlike any other relationship that Paul had with the various people that he encountered in his missionary journeys. Philippians, the people in Philippi, it was the first uh, Western church, if you could say, the first European church. Prior to the church in Philippi, Paul had been in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, which is considered Asia. But in Philippi, 
going into the region of Macedonia, it was the first European church. And not only that, but this church had partnered with Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys since day one. And so Paul has a special place in his heart for the Philippians. And here in chapter 2, he gives them a, certain, uh, a couple of words of, of commands. And there are four things that are going on here, but I'm going to briefly label and identify the first three because I really, really want to focus on the fourth one. So very briefly, beginning in verse 14, he gives a simple imperative here, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So this is the command. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then there's a reason for this. That's fine. I'm used to that in my own church. We've got kids running everywhere. They're mostly my kids, but yeah, they're running everywhere. But once he gives a command, he gives a reason, the, the foundation, the reason why he gives this command. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, very briefly, this reason here, it's a stark contrast to the people of God in the Old Testament. If you know your Old Testament, it was the people of Israel because of their idolatry, because of their lack of obedience to God, that they were called a crooked and twisted generation. But now in Christ Jesus, the people of God, the true people of God, are the ones who are shining as lights in the world. And as we learn from the children's message, shining the light of Christ, shining Christ-likeness in a generation, in a world that is indeed crooked and very much twisted. And that is very much true then as it is today. What's the method for this? What's the method of doing all things without grumbling or disputing? And he tells us here, He says the method here is in verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life. What is that? It's the word of God. And so here's another reminder for our lives to be so consumed with the word of God that every waking moment, even if we're not reading God's word, we are meditating on it. It's on the forefront of our minds. It is in the meditation of our hearts. Uh, navigators, uh, ministry, they have something called the word hand. And in order for you to grasp God's word firmly, you need to use all five fingers. And so with that, they describe the the five things that are absolutely necessary for you to really take in the word of God. The first one is what you're doing right now is hearing, hearing God's word. The second thing is reading God's word. And this progressively gets deeper and deeper. So the first is to, read, uh, to hear. The second is to read. The third is to memorize. That you would take the word of God and plant it deep in your hearts. The fourth is that you would study. Like if you're a student, and many of us have been students at one point, you would study diligently because you want that grade. Study the word of God. And then lastly, the bridge that connects The word of God from your mind, bringing it down 18 inches to your heart, is that you would meditate on God's word. Those five things. So hold fast to the word of life. And the fourth thing, which is what I really want to focus on this morning, is the result. What is the result here? At the latter part of verse 16, we see Apostle Paul say, So that, 
That gives us clues that this is the result. This is the purpose. This is the end goal. So that in the day of Christ, that is when Christ returns and calls us home to glory, that in the day of Christ, I, that is Paul, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And this word or this phrase here, I may be proud, in other translations, it's translated as boast, which in a sense is kind of, it's, it's a little bit, it raises questions, if I would say. It raises questions because the act of taking pride in something or that which constitutes a source of pride is what Paul has in mind when he uses the word boast. Now, all of us, we understand boasting. We all boast in something, right? We boast in our accomplishments. How many of you guys have your undergraduate degree diploma hanging on your wall somewhere? Yes? No? Okay, maybe you didn't get such a great GPA. Um, or maybe you didn't go to such a great school. Uh, how many of you, if you have, um, you know, a, a graduate degree, a master's or something? Yeah, you hanging on your wall? All right, maybe you guys boast in other things. All right? Parents, if I can speak to the parents in the room, do you not boast in your children? Right? You see this all over Facebook. Right? It's like, wow, look. My kid is eating solid food. Hey, everybody. Hey, world. Look at this. And it's like things that have been done for thousands of years, but we still boast in it. We boast in our skills. We boast in our abilities. We even boast in other people. But Paul's boasting in this particular text, it seems very strange, and it seems very misplaced. And here's the reason why. Now, the word of God is inerrant. The Word of God has no errors in it and is inspired by God. But the parts in Scripture that are not inspired are the chapter numbers and the verse numbers. Okay? The chapter numbers and verse numbers were not inspired. When Paul wrote this letter, he did not write chapter 1 and write verse numbers. Those were added later on just for our own reference. Now, chapter 2, it begins, so if there is any encouragement in Christ. But... This section that we are in right now, I believe, is the closing to a section that does not actually begin in chapter 2, but begins in chapter 1, verse 27. So chapter 1, verse 27 to chapter 2, verse 18 is what I would like to call one large chunk. And that's the immediate context that we're looking at. And if you look at this immediate context, Paul's boasting really does seem out of place. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And yet here, Paul is talking about boasting. Chapter 2, verse 8, And being found in human form, he's talking about Jesus Christ, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He writes of Christ's humility, and yet in the same context, he's talking about boasting. Chapter 2, verse 11 he speaks of when all will worship Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And yet Paul is boasting. Clearly in this text, in verse 16, he's, uh, verse 16 he says, that, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So he's basically saying, hey Philippians, I want you to do well. I want you to be blameless. And this isn't the first time he says this. Earlier in chapter 1, he tells them that they ought to be blameless, but he's telling them to do well so that he can boast. 
Is that what he's saying? In the larger context of Apostle Paul himself, any word or any talk of boasting seems gravely strange in light of all that Paul has said about boasting. If you do a quick search in the New Testament, the verb, I boast, it appears 37 times. Paul says it 35 of those 37 times. The word boast itself as a noun, it appears 11 times, and Paul uses it 10 out of those 11 times. And boasting, 11 out of 12 times, is Apostle Paul. If I can further emphasize this point, consider the following. Romans chapter 3, verse 27, Paul writes, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So he's saying that in the law of faith, there's no room for boasting. 1 Corinthians 3.21, so let no one boast in men. 1 Corinthians 1.29, he forbids anyone to boast before God. So the only boasting Paul allows is boasting in the Lord, boasting in the cross, and boasting in trials and weaknesses, basically anything that makes much of God. So if we are going to boast in anything, we boast in whatever we can that's going to make much of God. But once again, if you're following along with you, tracking with me here, it seems very strange that Paul seems to be urging the Philippians to be blameless and innocent so that he can boast that his gospel ministry to them would not be in vain. So is he contradicting himself? What's going on here? I wish I had a recording uh, maybe this is in light of all the TV shows and different shows that I watch with my kids. Uh, but for, the, for emphasis, a lot of the shows, they'll have these voices that just reverberate. And if I could do that, I would say, context is key. Context is key, is key, is key. The context here is key. Going back to verse 12 and 13, Apostle Paul says these famous words, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he adds this big word here, for. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works. See, Paul, in this greater context, he's not seeking to boast in what work he's done with the Philippians, but rather he recognizes and he affirms that the progress of the Philippians to the day of Christ, all the way to the end, is 100% God's doing. He even gives us hints about this in chapter 1, verse 6, where he says, And I am sure of this, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul is boasting, but not in himself. He's boasting in the work of God that is actively at work in the Philippians. He's seeking to boast in God's work and his seeking to boast in that, it affirms his belief that spiritual life, all of it from beginning to end, from election to glorification, is all completely the work of God. And that there is no room for boasting for man. So his wording in this text, it simply reveals his responsibility to his calling. And so as I expound this and kind of give some clarification as to what's really going on in this text, I have a question for all of you. And this is really a question that 
I pray you would be meditating on and would really resound in your hearts, uh, even now as you hear it through the course of this day and through the course of this week and continually on, especially in the light and context of your church. I mean, Pastor Young and I have been friends for a number of years now, uh, I believe 14 years. Uh, and for a good portion of those 14 years, he has uh, served as, as a mentor, uh, for me, and he's served as a friend, as an older brother in Christ, and, and now as, as partners in ministry. Uh, I know Christ's covenant and grace community, we have got a lot of unique, uniquenesses and a lot of differences, but in, in very much uh, to, to my joy, I consider you, you, your church as like a sister church. Uh, we are in the same presbytery. I don't know how long that's going to last, but we're in the same presbytery, and um, and Pastor Young and I, we have a great fellowship and great friendship. And, and so as I was invited to, to preach on this Sunday, I thought to myself, you know, what, what word from the Lord could, could I expound to you that would really truly encourage you, but at the same time truly convict you about your role as a part of this local body of Christ? And so here's the question that I pose to you in light of this text. And after I pose this question to you, I'm going to give you just three simple points, uh, three points through which you can really um, digest this question. And so here's the question. So if you're taking notes, write this down, okay? I'm going to repeat it a couple of times so you can write it down. Here's the question. Are you ministering to people in such a way that you are seeking to maximize your boast in Christ? Once again, are you ministering to people in such a way that you are seeking to maximize your boast in Christ? The reason why I ask this question is I believe that this is exactly the heart of Apostle Paul. He went through thick and thin. He suffered all sorts of different things because he was seeking to maximize his boast in Jesus Christ. In English, in plain language, what that means is that he was doing everything and anything in gospel ministry so that he would make much of Jesus Christ. Not his own name, not the name of any local church, but to boast in Jesus Christ. So are you ministering to people in such a way that you are seeking to maximize your boast in Christ? So here's the question, and now here are three points for you to be able to ask yourself that question and to really chew on it. First point is this. The reason why I ask you this question, and not just to particular leaders, is because gospel ministry is for every believer. Gospel ministry is for every believer. This question that I asked is not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for elders and deacons. It's not just for people who are serving on praise team or for lay leaders. But this is for every single believer. It's for every single person who professes faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Why? Because this question... It is because the gospel work is for every believer. Gospel work is for every believer. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, this is what Paul writes. He, he writes and says that God, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. 
apostles and prophets, two offices through which the word of God came. The, the prophets of old, the apostles of the New Testament. Evangelists, what I would consider our missionaries of today. Shepherds and teachers, that, are your, that is your pastor or pastors. So he gave these particular people for what purpose? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? The leaders in the church? Those who have titles? Those who have certain responsibilities in the church? No. The saints, every single believer. If you notice something about Paul's letters that he writes to the churches, in his opening, in his salutation, his greeting, he writes to the saints at various churches. Only one letter he doesn't, Galatians. Because Galatians, there was such a severe theological issue that there was doubts whether these people were true believers or not because they were following a false gospel. But even to the church at Corinth that had such severe problems, moral issues, a man who was sleeping with his mother, uh, father's step, or so his stepmother. Yes, the Bible is interesting, right? Even into that church, he calls them saints. So who are the saints? Every single believer. So these particular people God gave to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's to equip you for the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? For building up the body of Christ. To what end? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That you would grow up in Christ, maturity in Christ Jesus, more and more Christ-likeness. That's the end goal. That's the work of ministry. Whose responsibility is it to do the work of ministry? Every single believer. That you would use your gifts and talents to edify the church. Here's a little quote. You can write it down because I think it's a good quote. Because I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Some believers are called to equip. But all believers are called to be equipped. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Some believers are called to equip, but all believers are called to be equipped. So this question, are you ministering to people in such a way that you are seeking to maximize your boast in Christ? This question is applicable to every believer. So if you are here today and you genuinely profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is applicable for you. Second thing, why this question? Because gospel ministry is extremely hard work. Gospel ministry is very, very hard work. Look at verse, excuse me, if I go back to the, to the text, in Philippians, he says, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Run and labor, run and labor. This is what I call Paul's use of hard work language. See, there are very striking similarities between his ministry and running in a Roman stadium or, as a, or working as a working class laborer, right? That's what he means by when he says labor or run. Anybody here an avid runner? Yeah, anybody? Okay, well, maybe you, you probably will not understand this. I don't understand this because I'm not a runner. I absolutely hate running. Um, the only, like, race I ever ran 
Uh, I ran a 5K once. Uh, I never really understood runner's high. I never ran long enough to experience runner's high. Um, I think I experienced it when I ran my first 5K, but uh, after thinking about it a little bit, I don't think it was genuine runner's high because I felt that experience when I saw the finish line. And I don't think that's runner's high. I think that's just, oh, thank God, this is almost over. But when Paul says that he, didn't, that he hopes that he doesn't run in vain or labor in vain, he's, he's talking about running like an athlete in ancient Greek games or to labor. And the way to better understand this is to grow weary, to toil, exert oneself physically, mentally, or spiritually, toiling, striving, struggling. That's what he has in mind. Now, for any of you who've been Christians long enough, you'll understand this very well, that gospel work is extremely hard. Two reasons, very quickly, why gospel ministry is really hard. Number one, Gospel ministry is hard work because it is primarily spiritual in nature. There are some times when you're ministering to people that there's no rhyme or reason. You're trying to do all sorts of different things and it just doesn't seem to work. Because it's not a physical thing. It's not a matter of intellect. It's not a matter of effort. At least a physical effort but it is primarily spiritual in nature. You are dealing with things that are beyond the observable. You are dealing with things that are beyond understanding. You are dealing with powers that are unseen, the spiritual realm. You are dealing with things that just do not make sense on an earthly level. Ministry and ministering to people, it's extremely hard. The second reason why gospel ministry is hard work is not only is it primarily spiritual in nature, but gospel ministry is hard work because you're ministering to people, and people are hard. Can I get an amen to that? People are hard. For those of you who are parents, your children are difficult. I have jokingly say that the purpose of children is only one thing, is to bring out your own dysfunction. I never thought that I was a very impatient person until I had children. They stretch you. And because they keep it real, they have no filter. Marriage is hard. How many of us today can say that we never struggled in our marriages? Family life is hard. Dealing with parents is hard. And you know what? Dealing with one another in the context of church is extremely difficult. There are some people that will frustrate you beyond your own sanity. And if you've been down that road, you understand what I'm talking about. Because shepherding is hard. Teaching is hard. Leading is hard. Encouraging is hard. Managing is hard. Walking alongside people is hard. Accountability is difficult. Praying for people. There are days where you just do not want to pray for that person because you're sick and tired. Let's be honest. Come on. Praying for people is hard. Rebuking people is hard. It's a lot easier to just be non-confrontational. Speaking truth in love is extremely difficult. Extending grace is hard. Forgiving people is hard. Empathy is difficult. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all extremely difficult. You get the drift? Gospel ministry is extremely hard 
because people are very, very difficult. Discouraged yet? Well, I do not leave you with discouragement. But our third point, the gospel ministry is for every believer. Gospel ministry is extremely difficult. But I ask you that question, are you ministering to people in such a way that you are maximizing your boast in Christ Jesus? Because gospel ministry, although very difficult, very difficult it is most rewarding. It is most rewarding. Look what Apostle Paul says in verse 17. He says, even if, okay, at this point in his life, he's in prison, but he has this assurance that he's going to be able to visit the Philippians, and I truly believe that he did. I believe that he was actually let go out of prison in Rome here, was able to do more gospel ministry. I even think, and don't take this as truth, this is just what I think, I think that Apostle Paul was even able to continue his missionary journey into modern-day England, into Britain, the British Isles. But later on in his life, he was re-imprisoned in Rome and then later on martyred. So at this point, the reality of martyrdom was not something that was something he was facing at the moment, but it was a very real possibility. And that's why he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering." upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. So what you see here, you see a progression of Paul's gospel ministry, running and laboring, the hard, difficult work that he sees the possibility of it eventually leading to martyrdom, even on to death. Paul, what does he say? That even if that is supposed to happen, he says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And this goes very much in line with his confession in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is die, to, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If his death is for the purpose of the advancement of the gospel, then it is worth giving his life. And then here's what he challenges the Philippians and what I believe God is challenging all of us today. Verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You know what that means? When Paul is offering for you to be glad and to rejoice with Paul, he is basically saying, I want you to run and to labor even to the point of death with me that you can truly experience and encounter genuine gladness and joy and that your life, everything about your life would be to maximize your boast in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with these words. You know, some of us may not physically die as a result of gospel work like Paul and many other martyrs throughout the history of the church but one thing is absolutely for sure gospel ministry will definitely cause you to die to yourself and there is no greater boast in Christ than to die to self so that you may live to Christ these words from John the Baptist 
I must decrease and he must increase. This, I believe, is the goal of every single believer. It's not easy, but Jesus never promised that it would be easy. The road to life is straight and narrow. It is not broad and easy. It is difficult. It is hard. It is marked with much suffering and pain. But it is most rewarding. Last verse I leave you with. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. And you all know this verse. Chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this day. We thank you, O Lord, that you feed your people that you strengthen, you encourage, you exhort, you admonish, you convict. God, we pray that we would take to heart your word this day, that all of us would be committed to gospel work so that we would minister to one another in such a way that we would maximize our boast in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.